Amen. I love the presence of God that I feel in this house so rich this morning. I look around me and there's just a few here today. I don't know, maybe in the vicinity of 20 people or so in this auditorium, but I can tell you something right now. Ministry is about to happen. I feel the press of the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this house, and I don't exactly understand, but I know that God's getting ready to do something that I don't have to understand. Amen. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 20? I'm going to begin reading in verse 23. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23. I want to thank all of you for being faithful to the house of God on a Sunday morning. Amen. I want to thank especially those that came this morning for prayer. Amen. God is so rich and merciful and graceful in this house today. And part of that is because the church gathers together and calls upon the throne of heaven and says, Lord, we want you to move in this place today. We need you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 23, the scripture says, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this thing. Take the kings away every man out of his place and put captains in their rooms and number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost horse for horse and chariot for chariot and we will fight against them in the plain and surely we will be stronger than they and he hearkened unto their voice and did so and it came to pass at the at the return of the year the Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. I want to preach for a few moments from this subject, the view from the valley the view from the valley would you pray with me lord jesus i thank you for your anointing i thank you for the presence of god that i feel in this house and i'm asking that over the next few moments lord you would take over this service god and you would do what only you can do lord pour out of your spirit pour out of your anointing pour out of the power of your presence lord and let it touch us in such a way god that we will never ever be the same again I, i'm praying for the grace of god to minister in this house today lord i'm praying for the power and the anointing of the holy ghost uh, just to sweep through this place today lord and we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in jesus name would you say amen Amen. You may be seated. Israel had fallen on hard times. A wicked king had risen to the throne named Ahab. And Ahab led the children of Israel astray. Under his leadership, they've abandoned the worship of the one true God, and they've embraced the idolatrous worship of Baal. 
And the further that they began to drift away from God, the deeper they began to be mired in sin. And before long, they no longer even resemble the people of God. And instead, everything they love is is being destroyed by sin. Instead, everything in their life uh, is being affected by sin. That's how sin works. Amen? It always starts with a small step in the wrong direction, but the full ramification of that choice is never completely visible. And once it gets started moving you away from God, it always takes you further than you intended to to go. Amen? Small steps become huge leaps as you drift further and further away from the presence of God. Your enemy is an expert at deception. He focuses your attention in one direction uh, while leading you further and further astray in another direction. Uh, You trade liberty for bondage uh, without ever even realizing what you've done. Uh, Joy gets replaced by bitterness. Uh, Hope gets supplanted by insecurity. Uh, And peace gets swallowed up uh, in doubt and fear. Uh, And every step you take, uh, with every decision you make, uh, you become more and more enmeshed uh, in the devastating web of sin. Because sin is deceptive. If I've learned anything as a pastor, it is that the issue is never really the issue with sin. The devil's a liar. He's been playing this game a whole lot longer than you and I have. And he's an expert at deception. He focuses your attention in one direction. He fixates you on some small thing, stokes the fires of of self-justification within you, and then blindsides you from another direction where you were never expecting an attack to come from. And before you know it, you followed your sense. You followed your carnal view of things into places you never thought you would go. Can I get an amen? Before you know it, that old roaring lion is tearing you limb from limb. And you look around and don't even know how you got there in the first place. That's where Israel was. Israel fell deeper and deeper into the treachery of sin. They were a nation that was in trouble with God. And judgment was coming. God was, was going to bring about the wrath of God and the judgment of God. But in their backslidden state, even as they are transgressing, even as they are drifting further and further from God, what I want you to understand is that God still loved them. And God was still working to reconcile them. He was still reaching out to them and trying to bring them back. Aren't you thinking? thankful today for the mercy of God. Uh, Aren't you thankful today for the grace of God? Uh, When you made a mistake, he didn't toss you aside. Uh, Amen. When you drifted the wrong direction, uh, he didn't just shut you out, uh, but he followed you uh, and he reached for you and his grace and his mercy came after you long after you've transgressed against him, long after you've been ensnared by the trap of the enemy. Uh, The grace of God is still there reaching for you, striving with you, appealing to you because he loves you and he wants to see you set free from the snare that you've been caught in. So while they were backslidden, while they were drifting away from God, while their hearts were not where their hearts should have been, Israel was attacked by her neighbor, Syria. The Syrian king Ben-Hadad put together an alliance 
of 32 kings, and they came together with every intention of completely destroying Israel. Here's Israel in a backslidden state. Here's, here's Israel facing the wrath of God. They're outside, amen, of the will and purpose and plan of God for their life. They are subject to the judgment of God. And here comes an enemy intent on, on bringing that to pass. Here comes an enemy that is intent on destroying them. But as you see the story unfold in Scripture, it's wonderful, amen, it's unexpected. Uh, it comes out of nowhere. But God in his mercy allows Ahab to overcome Ben-Hadad. And, and Israel experiences a tremendous victory. They didn't deserve it. They weren't worthy of it. It wasn't something that, that they could ever look and say, well, because we've walked right, God has blessed us. Because we, we pursued him, he's shown us his mercy. Uh, but when the fighting was over, when it was all finished, the Lord sent a prophet to Ahab and told the king, he said, this is not the end of the story. You see, Ben-Hadad is going to be back again in the spring, and he's bringing with him a fresh army. I want you to, if, they, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. The battle that they fought was the result of their own sin. They were the ones who invited the wrath of God. They were the ones who invited the attack of the enemy. But God, in his mercy, delivered them. He brought them victory even when they did not deserve it. And listen to me, sometimes uh, you're going to win victories you don't deserve to win. I said, sometimes you're going to overcome enemies that you don't deserve to overcome. Don't let that fool you into thinking that somehow God condones of the wrong that's in your life. Sometimes you're not going to pray, and God's going to provide for you. Sometimes you're not going to fast, amen, and the power and the provision of God is going to come on you. And sometimes you're going to know that you've drifted mentally and spiritually away from where you should be with God, and still God's going to deliver and still God's going to bless and still God's going to because of his mercy because of his long suffering because he does not want you to be lost because he's holding back judgment I want you to understand that God is a merciful God Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 3 a bruised reed shall he not break and a smoking flax shall he not quench. God is not hasty in his judgment because he's rich in his mercy. A bruised reed is of no earthly use. A bruise indicates weakness. It's the prelude to a complete break. break. That which is bruised will ultimately break. But the Lord in his mercy holds back the breaking and preserves the bruised reed. Uh, the Lord in his mercy uh, doesn't let that breaking happen just yet. Uh, the smoking flax uh, means it's nearly burned out. Uh, it's on its last leg. Uh, it's virtually useless. Uh, it has no 
purpose anymore. It's just a smoking flax. It's just on the verge of being completely gone. But the Lord said, I'm not going to quench it. I'm not going to grind it out. I'm not going to push it aside. Now, I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying. The flax will eventually burn out on its own. The bruised reed will eventually break under the pressure of life. But God said, I'm not going to accelerate the judgment because I want to give a space for repentance. I want to give a space for mercy to step in. I want to give a space for the grace of God to work. So even in Israel's backslidden state, uh, God revealed his goodness uh, and his mercy to them. uh, And they defeated the enemy that came up against them, uh, that came to destroy them. And when they did, uh, it wasn't because God condoned their behavior. It wasn't because God condoned of where they were going. Uh, It wasn't because God approved uh, of their backslidden state. It's because God was calling them back. He said, remember who I am. Remember what I am. Remember what I have done for you. It's the mercy of God that's reaching for the people of God in a backslidden state and calling them back to him. But not just that. Just in case they don't get the point. Just in case they don't realize what's happened here is is the grace and the mercy of God God goes ahead and forewarns them. This battle is going to be fought again. This story isn't over yet. Your enemy's going to be back in the spring, and he's coming for you again. Uh, amen. You, you thought it was over with. You thought you were going to be overwhelmed. You thought, and then by the grace of God, you've emerged from this, and, and God has delivered you, uh, and he's brought you through when you didn't deserve to come through. Uh, amen. But you need, to be un- you need to understand this. That isn't the end of this story. Your enemy's coming back again. Amen. amen. The battle's been won by the grace and the mercy of God, but the war is not over Yet, there's still a battle to be fought for the soul of the nation of Israel. And God wants them to know the enemy is not going to give up that easy. He's going to persist. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for your family. He's coming back for your your loved ones. He's coming back for your children. He's coming back. Uh, Amen. You've overcome him. You've been able to push that aside. You've been able to to work your way through that. Uh, But you need to understand right now, amen, he's not done. Uh, Your enemy's still going to fight you. Just bear with me. I'm going somewhere. Amen. First of all, I want to promise you two things. One, you're still standing because of the mercy and the grace of God. You have an enemy that is gunning for you, but God in his mercy is preserving you. Amen. There are some under the sound of my voice that God has preserved you in spite of yourself. Amen. God has kept you in spite of the fact that you've not kept faithful to him. And I I don't know who you are and God hasn't revealed anything to me. Amen. I I just know that there are some that are sitting under the sound of my voice right now. Amen. That you're, you're running right now on the mercy of God. You're, you're living right now on the grace of God. He has preserved you in spite of you, not because you're right, not because your heart is right, not because you're living the way you need to live, not 
not because you're keeping yourself right before him, not because you've kept yourself humble in his presence, but because his mercy and his long suffering are striving with you. He's saying, I refuse to break that which is bruised. I refuse to quench that which is just smoking. I want to tell you in this house on a Sunday morning, it's never too late to turn back to God. Never too late to turn your heart back to him. One moment. I, I believe this with every fiber of my being. One moment in his presence can break every stronghold of the enemy in your mind. One moment in that exceedingly wonderful glory of God that I have felt sweeping through this place this morning. One moment of surrender to him can restore the years that have been lost, can restore the things that the enemy has consumed, can make everything brand new. One moment in his presence, and he's calling somebody under the sound of my voice on a Sunday morning. Amen. This is why he's preserved you. This is why he's kept you. This is why he's still fighting for you. Uh, this is why you are standing today uh, because he's calling you. Uh, there's a place of restoration uh, and he's calling you to it. Uh, there's a place of grace uh, and he's calling you to it. Uh, there's a place where he wants to restore your soul and he's calling you to that place where the grace of God can step into your life and right every wrong. Soothe every hurt. Restore your joy, your peace, your hope in the Lord. Our merciful Savior doesn't give up easy. You pushed him away. You rejected him. But through it all, he keeps loving you. He keeps reaching for you. Here's the second thing you need to know. The enemy isn't done with you yet. He's coming for you again. And I can promise you. There's a battle brewing, and the prize is your eternal soul. And though the mercy of God has held your enemy back, I can promise you Satan will not rest, and he will not stop until he gets his claws in you for good, until he makes you his trophy. If he has his way, your story will always end in tragedy. If he has his way, your life will forever be defined by heartache and pain. He's not your friend. He is your enemy, and he has only one goal for your life. He plans to completely and utterly destroy you, to crush you under the weight of sin. So when the Syrians came back the following spring, they began to make war and prepare to make war against the children of Israel. The servants of Ben-Hadad came to him. And said, you know, we've got a new strategy. First of all, they said, we've noticed something. The God of Israel is a God of the hills. Now, to understand this notion, you have to know that the Syrians acknowledged many different deities. In fact, in, in the text that we read in the Bible, they referred to the God, singular of Israel, in the plural. They said their gods, plural, are the gods of the mountains or the hills. Uh, amen. They did this because they assumed that Israel, like them, worshipped many different deities. And, and they understood the Syrian, in the Syrian domain of worship, uh, every deity had a particular jurisdiction. There were some gods who were God of the woods. 
There were other gods who were God of the rivers. There were some gods who were God of the seas. There were gods who were God of the plains. And so with that knowledge in mind, they made a dangerous assumption about God. They observed that Canaan was a land of mountains and that the great temple of God at Jerusalem stood on a mountain. And they even remember that in the previous year, when they attacked Samaria, or attacked Israel, they did it at a place called Samaria, which is itself on a mountain. So they, they fought and were defeated on a mountain. So they made the logical leap of faith uh, that the reason they could not overcome the Israelites uh, was because their God's domain was the mountain. They reasoned that he had the home field advantage in the mountains and if if they fought him in his domain they were always going to be putting themselves at a disadvantage so they devised a strategy they said this time we won't attack them on the mountain this time we will target them in the valley we'll draw them down to the plain in that space between the mountains, in that terrain where our horses and our chariots have a physical advantage over their army and the power of their God will be limited because we will be out of his domain and there we will prevail against them. I want to tell you something you probably already know about Satan. He doesn't attack you when you're on your mountaintop. He doesn't attack you when your faith is high and you're confident in the power of God. He leaves you alone in those places because he knows he can't win in that environment. He's faced enough defeats on mountaintops to learn that he can't overcome you in that domain. Instead, he waits for you in the valley. You see, valleys are a natural part of life. Every Everybody walks through the valley. There's no such thing as a landscape that is composed only of mountaintops. Uh, amen. In between every mountaintop, uh, there is a valley. Uh, amen. The stark reality is uh, that it doesn't matter how high you climb. Uh, it doesn't matter how great the victory. Uh, it doesn't matter how successful you are. Uh, eventually, you have to walk through a valley. Amen. For every high point, there is a low point. For every moment of joyful triumph where you stand on a mountaintop, where you celebrate the goodness of God, there exists a season of struggle where you trudge through a valley and you can't see anything around you but heartache and pain. That's not something your enemy created. It's just the natural way of things. It's just the lay of the land. Uh, there will always be valleys in your life. Can I get an amen? amen? And the enemy of your soul has learned that you are most vulnerable to his attack uh, when you're walking through your valley. So he waits for you. In your valley. Have you ever listened to late night radio? Or perhaps been exposed to late night TV? Those two venues are the domain of some of the strangest sales pitches you will ever hear in your life. They'll leave you scratching your head and wondering who in the world buys this stuff? And who in the world? And you know, a late night radio is just full of, of the oddities of humanity 
And where in the world do they get these people that buy this kind of stuff? It'll leave you in perplexed. And this, this year, one of the classes I'm teaching has to do with persuasion. And because it's been a few years since I studied it, I've been going back and doing a lot of reading over the last couple of months and refreshing myself and re-educating myself and making sure that I'm ahead of the curve on, on the subject that I'm teaching. And so I've been doing a lot of reading on the subject. And, and one of the professors, one of the people I've been reading, a, a very notable author with, with a lot of degrees and a lot of experience and a lot of uh, prestige behind his name, he said that he once looked at those late-night venues and he thought that uh, probably they, they were the domain of that kind of sales pitch because that's all those kind of people could afford. You know, they, they advertise there because they can't afford to advertise at the prime time. They advertise there because that's whenever airtime is cheap. And he reasoned that that was probably just the best that they could do. But what he found out is that they choose those hours on purpose. They could afford to air any time they want to air. They could afford to be in any ad cycle they want to be in. But they, they choose to be in that late night ad cycle. And here's the reason why. You are more prone to make bad decisions when your cognitive ability is impaired. When you're tired. When you're, you're not paying good attention whenever you are fatigued by life, whenever you're not thinking clearly. Those are the kind of people, you know, I said earlier, leave you scratching your head wondering what kind of people buy that stuff. I can tell you what kind of people buy that stuff. They're the people who wake up the next morning and go, what in the world was I thinking? It's because you don't think. When you're tired and when you're weary and when you're frustrated and when you're sleepy and when you're just trying to push through to the next moment, you can get a little rest. Uh, they know they can prey on you in those moments. They know that if you're listening to late night radio, you're on the road somewhere driving and you're just trying to get there and they can appeal to your conscience in a way that, that you're not, your guard is down. Satan understands the same thing that the late-night radio huckster understands. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're injured, when you're weak, when you're in the middle of the battle, when you're fighting your way through the valley, when you're hurt and exhausted and, and all alone, when you have more questions than you have answers, those are the moments uh, when he's most successful. Those are the moments uh, when he can do what he wants to do with your life. So he stalks you in your valleys. Uh, he stalks you when your faith is low uh, and your guard is down. Uh, when you come down from the mountain uh, and the thrill of victory is a distant memory, uh, that's when he hits you. Uh, with his best shot uh, when the kids are sick uh, when the car breaks down uh, when there isn't enough money in the bank uh, when there's dissatisfaction in your relationship uh, when everything is going against you when everything's falling apart at work uh, that's when he strikes uh, that's when he seeks to deliver that fatal blow John 10 and 10 tells us the thief comes but for to steal and to kill and to destroy what I want you to understand is that the thief stalks your valleys. He's content to leave your mountaintops alone. He's content to leave you alone in the midst of your triumphs. 
because he stalks you in the middle of your tragedies. When your faith is high and your confidence soars, he sets up camp in your valley and patiently waits for you. Amen. Because he knows he can't overcome you when your faith is high. He knows he can't overcome you whenever your, your confidence is strong. He knows he can't overcome you when you're walking in that place of victory and power and anointing. So he waits for you in the trial you don't even know is coming yet. He doesn't come to call until you're in the darkness of your midnight hour. And that's when he hits you with everything he has. When you're overwhelmed by weariness, when your resources are nearly gone, when your faith is at its weakest, that's the moment that he attacks. That's exactly what Ben-Hadad did to Israel. He attacked them in the valley. And I read the text, and I want to go back to the very last verse of the text, because from the perspective of the valley, Israel seemed so small, and the enemy seemed so great. Your valley has a way of playing tricks with your perception. In the valley, you seem to be so small and so insignificant. And the thing that you're up against seems to be so substantial and so overwhelming. The Bible said that Israel appeared to be as if they were two little flocks of kid goats. Amen. Just two little small, meek, vulnerable Amen. Just, just two little flocks. Uh, they didn't have any real uh, serious strength to them. Didn't have any real ability to them. Just two little meek, vulnerable flocks. Well, the Syrians seemed to be so large that they filled the entire country. That's why he chooses the valley. When you're discouraged, even the positive things in your life seem smaller. When you're discouraged, the negative things in your life get bigger. Whenever you're discouraged, you can take the greatest of God's blessings and, and make them the smallest element in your life. And you can take the most insignificant of negative things and blow them up until they dominate your thinking. They occupy your every moment. They, they crowd out everything else in your mind. When you're tired... When your soul is weary, when the weight of the world has worn you down, you seem so insignificant in your own eyes. And, and the struggle that you're in seems to be so overwhelming. That's the view from the valley. Remember the children of Israel, the first time they came into the promised land, they seemed in their own eyes to be like grasshoppers. Uh, and the inhabitants of that land seemed to be giants. Uh, I come to you with a simple message uh, from the throne of God. You cannot trust uh, the view from your valley. Uh, you cannot trust uh, what your eyes are telling you, what your senses are telling you, what your circumstances telling you when you're in the middle of your valley. When when you're weak and when you're weary, when you're tired and when you're down, when you're depressed, when everything is coming against you, when it seems like your world is falling apart, you can't trust the view from your valley. 
Your self-perception and your God-perception become diminished uh, in the middle of your valley, but somehow the opposite happens uh, to your perspective uh, of your perception uh, of your enemy. He becomes bigger. Uh, the obstacles become greater. Uh, amen. All of a sudden, what seems so doable becomes so impossible when you find yourself in the valley. I come to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning, sometimes you need to remind yourself of what things looked like back when you were standing on the mountain, back when your mind was clear, back whenever you could see clearly the purpose of God and the vision of God for your life, back when you could feel that strong anointing and calling of God. You need to remind yourself uh, what things looked like when you were standing on the mountain. Because from there... From that perspective, everything is different. The insurmountable obstacle that you now face was just a bump in the road that you were confident you could come through. The giant that now stands before you was not so formidable back when you were standing on the mountain looking down upon him. The enemy that's just about to overwhelm you, that's just about to, to drive you to your last sense, uh, amen, seems so much less significant when you were looking at it from the mountain. But now that you're in the valley, Oh, now your perspective shifts. I've come to tell somebody in this place, you can't trust the view from the valley. You can't let your mind become convinced. In the middle of your struggle is not the time to reevaluate your priorities. Can I get an amen? People make bad decisions in the middle of the battle. Legislatures make bad decisions in the wake of tragedy. Amen. And you and I make bad decisions whenever we base what we're doing and where we're going and the decisions we're making on the view from our valley. Amen. That's why the enemy waits until you're in the valley to confront you. He understands how the valley affects you. He knows what, listen, what just a few negative things, and they, and they never seem to, they never come spread apart. They always come one right after another, you know. The messengers come running into Job's house, and, and your daughter's dead, and this has happened, and your grain's gone, and this has happened. It's just one right after another. It's just one, it just keeps, when it starts, it just piles up. And what he understands uh, is that when he can get you in that place, uh, amen, when he can get you, he knows what the late night radio huckster understands uh, whenever you're at your weakest. Uh, that's when he can prevail over you. Amen. The best chance he has of overcoming you and knocking you out of God's plan and purpose for your life is in your valley. And that's where Israel was. And that's where Ben-Hadad brought his mighty army up against them. Because in that moment when everything seems hopeless, that's where your enemy thinks he can prevail. But don't stop reading there. Don't stop the story there. The story does not stop in verse 28 uh, because in the midst of that deep, dark valley, uh, right in the middle of their moment of distress, uh, as their enemy was coming up against them and they seemed so small and insignificant uh, and their enemy seemed so great uh, and mighty, there came a man of 
God with a word from the throne of heaven. And he stepped into that place and this is what he said in 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 28. There came a man from God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Friend, I come to this pulpit tonight or today or this morning or tomorrow, whenever I get here. I don't know where I am, but I know where I came from. I came from the throne of heaven. I've got a word from God for somebody's life in this place today. God isn't finished with you yet. He's not going to abandon you in your valley. He's not going to abandon you. And your enemy has underestimated uh, your God. Uh, he's underestimated the mercy of God. Uh, he's underestimated the long suffering of God. He's underestimated the power of God. Uh, I want you to notice something. Uh, amen. Whenever this promise came from this man of God, uh, this promise came to a half backslidden nation. That's the key. I didn't understand it when I started. I didn't understand when I when God laid this thought on my heart. I, I didn't understand uh, where this was going. Uh, but here's the key. Uh, Satan will whisper in your ear and tell you that promises like that don't belong to you because you failed God. Because you messed up. Because the enemy has some leverage over your life. But I want you to hear this preacher on a Sunday morning. It's the mercy and grace of God that sends a man of God into the valley to look a backslidden king in the eyes and say, God is going to fight one more battle for you. There's a promise from the throne of God that's saying, I'm, I'm going to be there because I'm calling you to a place of repentance. I'm calling you to a place of restoration. I'm calling you back into the plan and the purpose of God. But Satan will come and he'll whisper in your ear and he'll tell you you've made too many mistakes. And somehow those mistakes invalidate the promises of God. And you're like, come on, somebody be a witness because I've been there and I know you've been there. Amen. When you start to pray and say, God, I need your help. Uh, and your own carnality leaps up and says, you don't deserve the help of God. Uh, you don't deserve the grace of God. You don't deserve the goodness of God. That's the way your enemy attacks you. Uh, he'll tell you you made too many mistakes. Uh, but listen to a man of God standing in your valley. The devil is a liar and the father of it. Uh, and the truth is not in him. The mercy and the grace the unfathomable grace of God is fighting for you. Not because he condones of everything that's going on in your life. Not because he says, oh, you, you're living right and you're perfect. And, and I, I know I'm speaking to some folks that you're living right. And, I, and I'm trying to be very broad. I, but I feel like very strongly in my spirit. I, I'm reaching for somebody in this house this morning. I, that the devil's come to you and he's got leverage over you. Because he knows some things I, that nobody else knows. I, and I come to tell you God is in this house I, to fight for you. I, God is in this house uh, to stand for you. Uh, God is in this house uh, to create a place of mercy and grace for you. 
He wants to lift you out of a miry clay. He's made a promise. He has a plan. He has a destiny for your life. And he hasn't tossed you aside yet. He's still reaching for you. He hasn't discarded you yet. He will not extinguish. Now the flax will extinguish. Don't, don't, don't mistake what I'm telling you. The flax will burn out, but God's not going to put his thumb on it and press it out. Uh, amen. There's the mercy and the grace of God, the long suffering of God uh, that is reaching constantly. And on a Sunday morning, he sent me to this pulpit with a message for somebody under the sound of my voice. He wants me to tell you he's bigger than your valley. He's bigger than your mistake. He's bigger than your failure. He's bigger than your flaws. He's bigger than your shortcomings. Uh, he's bigger than all the stuff uh, that your enemy is holding over your head. Uh, you need to shift your perspective. Uh, no matter where you are in a valley, uh, and no matter where you find yourself uh, in the valley, if you just lift up your eyes, uh, the mountain always looms uh, larger than the valley. Uh, and what you need to realize uh, in the middle of your struggle uh, is that the God of the mountain uh, is still God in your valley. Uh, no matter where you are, uh, no matter what you're going through, uh, the mountain will always dominate your view if you just lift up your eyes and see. He sent a man of God into this place on a Sunday morning to tell you, your valley may change you, but it doesn't change God. Your circumstance may change you, but it doesn't change him. The battle may wear you down. The struggle may rob you of your strength. The setbacks may cripple your confidence, but they have absolutely no effect on God. He's not diminished one bit by your valley. He's not diminished one bit by your circumstance. He's just as mighty to save in the midnight hour as he is in the glory glorious morning of a brand new day and I come to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning he's here to save he's here to restore he's here to make old things brand new Amen. he's just as able to transform your circumstance when everything is falling apart as he is when you have it all together the circumstance that devastates you, the blow that drops you to your knees, the enemy that nearly overwhelms you. None of that diminishes the power of God in your life. And I'm here to tell you that the reason that you seem so small and the reason you seem so frail and the reason you seem so vulnerable while your enemy seems so large and so strong and so substantial is because you're focused on the wrong thing. You need to lift your eyes from your valley and you need to get a glimpse of your Savior. You need to lift your eyes from your circumstance and you need to get a glimpse of your creator his arm is not short his strength is not compromised his power is not limited and most of all his mercy has not run out the reason your enemy has chosen this valley in your life to be his battlefield is that he knows that the valley skews your perspective he understands what you don't understand. 
that the view from the valley shifts things in your mind. And he's going to do everything he can in that moment to invalidate the promises of God in your life. He's going to tell you that you are where you are. You're in the valley because of your own mistakes, because of your own faults. This is a valley of your own making because you're something less than perfect, because you've made mistakes along the way. Because of all of those things, there's no way for you to ever get out of this valley. Listen to me. Spiritual victory is not contingent on where you're fighting or what you're fighting or why you're fighting. The enemy wants you to focus on those things because in the valley, those things seem insurmountable. But a man of God wants to tell you on a Sunday morning, spiritual victory depends only on one thing. Uh, Amen. That's what you need to focus on this morning. Uh, It depends on who is fighting for you. It depends on who is fighting for you. God is on your side. And in the valley, he has the same advantage he has on the mountain. Come on, the heaven in his throne uh, and the earth is his footstool. Uh, Amen. He's sovereign God uh, over everything that he made. uh, And he spoke it all into existence. Uh, It doesn't matter where the battlefield is. uh, It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter how formidable the foe may be. What matters uh, is that heaven is still fighting for you. And God is still working in your life. uh, And he hasn't abandoned you yet. He's just waiting for an invitation to join you on your battlefield. I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. God laid this passage. Actually, this passage came up in conversation with my boys earlier, a week or two back. and God began to deal with my heart about preaching from this passage earlier this week. And I knew, I really knew when I came to this passage what I was going to preach. Before I ever started studying it, Brother Donnie, I, I knew I was going to preach that God on the mountain is still God in the valley. That just, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's who he is. So when I came to this passage, I expected to come and find a faithful Israel struggling against a, a domineering enemy. I expected to come and find an ideal image of the church uh, in all of its faithfulness trying to serve God and an enemy that was trying to overcome them, trying to take advantage of a valley to destroy them. But what I found was not what I expected to find. What I found was a less than ideal representation of the church. I found a nation that was struggling in their identity. I found a nation that was struggling with the very word and law of God and that was drifting and that was in a place where, where they were half backslidden, where they were drifting away from God. What I found was a people who were less than perfect. And I found God. I expected God to show up in the valley and fight for a people who were faithful. I expected God to show up in the valley and fight for a people who kept it all together. I expected to find God fighting on behalf of a people who prayed when they knew they should pray and read their Bible like they knew they should read their Bible and fasted like they knew they should fast and gave in the offering and the tithes and gave their time and their effort and dedicated themselves. I expected God to to fight for that people. I did not expect what I found. What I found was less than ideal. 
What I found was people who were struggling in their faith. What I found was people who were somewhere in the valley that they were in was a valley of decision, and they were halfway in between. Uh, they were they were somewhere in between. Uh, they, 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 there was the grace of God reaching for them, and there was the hand of Satan pulling on them. And what I found was less than what I expected, but what I found was mercy in an unexpected place. What I found was grace. Brother Tim, well, I didn't expect to find grace. What I found was in the context of failure, there was the grace of God reconciling, working, drawing, appealing. What I found was that when the situation was less than ideal, God was still there. I think that matters because as I look across this auditorium today, I have to recognize in my spirit, none of us are ideal. The devil's always going to find some little thing to hold over your head. And for all of us, some of us it's less, more minor than it is others, but he's always going to pluck and pry at you. And he's always going to try to convince you that you're not good enough for God to fight for you. But what I found was a valley where people who absolutely did not deserve, who had been warned already once, who already God had won the victory for them, and did not deserve deliverance, I found God saying one more time, let me show you who I am so that you come back to me. Let me show you who I am so I can graft you back into my perfect plan and will for your life. Let me demonstrate to you my goodness and my mercy. And this is what I feel so strongly in my spirit on a Sunday morning. I believe the presence of God is walking through this house this morning. And I believe he's calling to people under the sound of my voice that your circumstance is less than ideal. Your situation is less than ideal. Amen. You you struggled here or there. You, there's things that you battled against. There's things you thought you had the victory over then you found yourself in a valley and, and you're, you're fighting against things that, 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 that you don't want to talk to anybody else about you don't want to share with anybody else but God knows what they are and, and your enemy knows what they are and he's beating you about the head and shoulders with them but I come to you with a message from the throne of God he's still there he's still fighting for you he's calling you home he's calling you back into relationship he's calling you back into covenant and he's willing to overcome the thing that's in your life uh, if you'll just invite him into your battle invite him into your valley why don't you stand with me two things are about to happen first of all I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to this altar and call out to God because all of heaven is ready and waiting. I truly believe with every fiber of my being, the captain of the host of heaven is arrayed in his battle armor. And he's standing in this place today. I believe that the goodness and the mercy of God followed you into your valley. And I believe that he's ready to step in and do what only he can do. There are some under the sound of my voice 
And I understand that I'm not speaking to everybody when I say this. But that there's some under the sound of my voice that you need to repent of something in your life the devil's holding over your head. And you need to turn your heart back to heaven. And you need to put some things right. There are others that you just need to recognize the fact that the valley has very nearly caused your foot to slip. The valley has nearly overwhelmed your faith. And you need to lift your voice to heaven and cry out for help. It really doesn't matter which end of that spectrum you find yourself on. The grace of God is rich enough to cover you today wherever you are on that spectrum. God is ready. God is willing to invade your valley with the glory of his presence. I believe that. I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. I'm not condoning sin. And I'm not telling you God will hold his judgment back forever. I'm telling you God is merciful. He's long-suffering. Don't mistake his mercy and long-suffering for approval. Understand what he's doing. Understand where you are. And recognize before it's too late. You desperately need him. But the second thing that's going to happen this morning is that your enemy is going to try to leverage the view from the valley and tell you that somehow, for some reason, you've been disqualified from the mercy and the grace of God. He's going to tell you, you know what the preacher doesn't know. You know how badly you failed. You know how many times you've rejected the grace of God. And he's going to try to convince you that you've gone too far. You've waited too long. It's been too much. You've done too much. And he's going to try to tell you that you're hopelessly stuck in your valley. So I want you to listen one more time to this man of God. Because I'm going to tell you what I've already told you. The devil is a liar. God is not finished with you yet. God has not given up on you yet. God has not broken that which was only bruised. Amen. But he's given an opportunity for the grace of God to flow. I come to tell somebody in this place, amen, the God that was God in your mountain, the God that was God in your victories, the God that was God when he called you and when he laid his hand of anointing over you, he's still God in the middle of the valley that you find yourself in right now. He's still God in the middle of the situation that you're dealing with right now. And you need to lift up your eyes uh, and you need to catch a glimpse uh, of heaven's view of your valley uh, because victory's coming uh, because the grace of God is walking through this house uh, because the mercy of God is calling out to somebody I'm calling both ends of the spectrum because there's nobody under the sound of my voice that you don't need the deliverance of God in the midst of your valley we, we like to gauge things and say, oh, well, I'm a little better than he is. I'm a little better than she is. When we stand at the, J.T. Pugh used to say it this way, the ground is level at the foot of the cross.
There's no better and there's no worse. When we stand before him, we're all sinners. But for the grace of God. And I'm telling you, grace is flowing through this place this morning. Would you come to this altar? Would you find a place? Would you turn your heart towards heaven? Perhaps you're, you just need to cry out and say, Lord, strengthen my faith. Perhaps you just need to call on him and say, Lord, steady my foot. Perhaps you just need to call on him and say, Lord, I, I, almost, I, I almost gave up. I, I haven't yet. But I, or maybe there's somebody in the sound of my voice. And I know there's somebody under the sound of my voice. You need to bend your knees in the presence of God. And you need to say, Lord, forgive me. Uh, forgive me, Lord. Uh, forgive me, Lord. Uh, let the mercy of God flow through my life again. Let the grace of God touch me. Uh, lift me out of my valley. Uh, amen. Give me victory in my valley. Uh, give me victory in my situation. Lord, I see your hand. I recognize your mercy. Let me come home again. I believe he's calling you right now. There's restoration. There's wholeness. There's a peace that comes only from His presence. But you've got to turn your heart to Him and ask for it. Why don't you invite the Lord into your valley right now? Come on, why don't you invite the Lord into your valley right now? In Jesus' name.